So make sure that you sign up for that. Bring a visitor. Uh, bring somebody that hasn't been uh, maybe to the, the Compass, non-believers, obviously, are absolutely welcome so that they can hear God's Word and, and see Christian community being fleshed out, and we have an opportunity to witness to them through that. So make sure that you keep that on your radar, okay? Let me pray for us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, oh Lord, you are a God who is faithful. And this morning we are reminded once again of that, that even as we begin our day by focusing on fellowship with one another and uh, spending time in your word, Lord, what a privilege we have to open up your scripture. Thank you for Bibles where we can open up your word and learn about you. And this morning, specifically learn about Christ and who is the Son of God, who is your Son, who is our Savior. I pray that you would allow us to fall deeper and deeper in love with Him so that we would walk in loving obedience, grateful obedience, aggressively pursuing sanctification, Lord, as we live our day today in whatever context, and help us to be worshipful. And, and Lord, even to walk in holiness, to be set apart from sin and walk as Christ walked, Lord. And we know that we're never going to do that perfect as He was perfect, He is perfect, but we want to be men who are used by you for your glory and for the mission of the gospel here in this world. So help this time, even in your word, to lead us in a greater way toward that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, brothers, is our text for this morning. John 10, verses 1 through 21. And hey, just keep your finger there. In John 10, we're going to come right back to it in a couple of minutes, but I want to begin by reading from Ezekiel chapter 34, all right? So just keep your finger there in John 10, but go to Ezekiel chapter 34. This is um, Yahweh speaking to the prophet Ezekiel some 600 years approximately before the time of Christ, right? And listen to the words of Yahweh, our God, to... Um, Ezekiel and the message that he wants him to proclaim to the leaders of Israel at the time in Ezekiel 34 verse 1. The word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought up, brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all, over all the face of the earth with none to search or, or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not scattered, searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their, feet, to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Man, 
Strong, terrifying words, huh? Some 600 years before the time of Christ, as you go back to John chapter 10, that was an indictment by Yahweh against the Old Testament leaders of Israel. False shepherds. False shepherds who, instead of glorifying God and doing what was best for God's people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, done, they had done the, the exact opposite. They had done the exact opposite, these false shepherds. Instead of doing what, was, what glorified God and what was for the benefit of, of the, the nation of Israel, they had exploited the people again and again and again, and, and they had not led them. They had not fed them. They had not protected them from, from spiritual decadence. And fast forward now to John chapter 10. The reason why I wanted us to read that is to the time of Jesus, once again, we see that there are false shepherds under this system of, of Judaism now. The religious leaders, like the Old Testament leaders, spiritual leaders, so-called spiritual leaders of Israel. Now the religious leaders who are supposed to lead the sheep and feed the sheep and protect the sheep, they have done the exact opposite as well. And even as now things escalate in John's gospel, Jesus, like Yahweh in the Old Testament, now has strong words for these people as well for these religious leaders. But how does he do it, right? You've been studying this, this passage. The ultimate master teacher makes his point about these false shepherds through familiar language that they would have understood. It's the language in John chapter 10 of shepherds and sheep, of sheepfolds and gatekeepers or hirelings, hired hands. It's the language Jesus uses here of, of the agrarian culture of the day. The agrarian culture of the day. And what you had, if, if you understand the culture of that day, it is basically a central location in a village or town at the time where sheep were stored and the shepherds would bring the sheep to sleep there overnight. And of course, the shepherds themselves needed um, rest. So they would leave these sheep in these, these pens or sheepfolds somewhere in the middle of the town. And so after a full day of grazing in the open fields, these shepherds would bring these sheep to these sheepfolds for the night, and they would hire these individuals, these gatekeepers, these hired hands, to protect the sheep, to guard the sheep overnight as they went and they rested these shepherds. Now keep in mind, the gatekeeper was not the owner of the sheep. He was a hired hand. He was a hireling. He was entrusted with sheep, not his own. He was to guard and protect sheep, not his own. He was to keep watch over these sheep and, and watch uh, 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 over these sheep against wolves and robbers and, and all of that. He was a protector of the sheep. So this is the imagery from the agrarian culture of the day that the Lord Jesus uses as he teaches concerning himself as the shepherd. It's not confusing or ambiguous language. They would have understood what Jesus was talking about at the time. And so it's through this imagery that the Lord Jesus, listen, sets himself forward as the great shepherd, as the most desirable of shepherds in contrast to the wicked leaders of the day. And so as we look at these 21 verses, brothers, I want us to hang our thoughts on three exhortations, okay? First of all, as we look at this text, we must embrace here what Jesus says concerning his exclusivity. We must embrace the exclusivity of Jesus. That's asserted loud and clear throughout this passage. And it comes to us, obviously, by way of this illustration, by way of this figure of speech from the agrarian culture of the day. It's on the heels of, of his healing of the blind man and then seeing the ugly unbelief of the religious leaders that Jesus says in verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you. It's the same discourse, right? 
Even though we have this division of a chapter 10 in our English Bibles, this is the same discourse. It's on the heels of, of this interaction with the religious leaders and their display of un, ugly unbelief that Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. And that's Jesus' way of introducing a, a statement of absolute certainty. This is something that you can bank on. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Not ambiguous language, you're confusing, right? Anyone living in that day knew that, that there was a right way to enter the sheepfold, a correct way, and there was a wrong way to enter it. And true shepherds came in through the front door to take back their sheep and lead them to green pastures for the day again. But false shepherds or thieves or robbers broke the law by entering another way. It's not ambiguous language. But who is Jesus talking about here? Is he simply making up pretty little allegories or figures of speech to be impressive or interesting? Of course not. He's speaking specifically about these religious leaders who he has called in chapter 9 verse 41 blind individuals. Now he's basically calling them thieves and robbers. He's calling them out. You guys think you're the true leaders of Israel? Think again. You are thieves and robbers. And that was an incredible put down, wasn't it? An incredible put down. Because these guys fancied themselves as, as leaders of the people, as, as the guides of the people, but they were actually blind men leading blind people, these counterfeit shepherds. Now look at the contrast in verse 2. But by way of contrast, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Who is Jesus talking about now? He's talking about himself, right? In fact, look down in verse 7. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. He's speaking, of course, of the, of the true sheep who did not listen to these false shepherds. And then in verse 9, he repeats himself, I am the door. Says that over and over again. Well, what's a door? What's a door? Well, it's a means, isn't it? It's a means by which one enters a destination. It's a means by which one gets access to something desired. And of course, it's a metaphor. Jesus is saying, I myself are the door of the sheep. And in short, what he's doing here, Jesus, and throughout this passage, this is the case, he's establishing his exclusivity, that he is the door of the sheep. There is no other door. That he is himself is the only shepherd, the only door. Look at verse 3. This is confirmed there in verse 3. To him, to him who enters by the door, the gatekeeper opens. Why? Because the gatekeeper recognizes that this is the true shepherd. And not only does the gatekeeper recognize the true shepherd, but the true sheep also recognize their shepherd, don't they? Look at verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, of the true shepherd, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. In other words, he, he knows the sheep personally, this true shepherd. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. What a beautiful picture that is, right? Reminds us of Psalm 23, that the true sheep are, are personally acquainted with their shepherd. They, they know his lovely voice. They trust him. They follow him. They know he won't harm or hurt them. By contrast, look at verse 5. 
Here's the contrast. A stranger, and the, the Greek word there is, it refers to one who is unknown. The foreign voice. A stranger, they will not follow. Not only that, but they will flee from him. Why? For they do not know the voice of strangers. It's like our children, right? Who recognize the familiar and soothing voice of their parents and are comforted by the presence of their parents and the voice of their parents and they'll run to their parents in the playground. But they're frightened by the voice of a, of a person they don't know. So it is with the sheep. The true sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. They're comforted by the soothing voice of the true shepherd. And so you can't miss the contract, contrast here. Jesus is calling these guys out by saying, you are thieves, you are robbers, false voices. Sure, there were people who were following after them superficially during that time, but the true sheep would not ultimately follow after these guys. The true sheep will only follow the one true shepherd. They know that access to God only comes through Jesus Christ alone, right? They know, they know what Jesus says in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, except through the door who is Christ. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Boy, verses like that fly in the face of our pluralistic culture, don't they? A culture that says that there are many gods, however people define their gods with a little g. Whether it's materialism or possessions or whatever, people worship all kinds of idols. And, this, and in our pluralistic culture, it's many ways and many roads lead to God. Jesus says, absolutely not. I myself am the door of the sheep. I'm the only one that's able to give access to you to come to God and be reconciled to God and be forgiven and be granted eternal life. I myself am the door of the sheep. So this is hardly ambiguous here, hardly confusing and yet many today think that there are many doors that lead to heaven. Many paths that lead to eternal life. But that's a lie from hell, isn't it? A lie from hell. John Calvin commented, In vain do they wander about who leave Christ to go to God. Because there is but one open door. And all who approach in any other way is prohibited, he writes. In other words, there's only one way to be reconciled to God, and his name is Jesus. And if you want to be reconciled to God, you must repent of your sins and trust in Christ and Christ alone exclusively. And what a frightening thing, brothers. It will be on Judgment Day for many people who, who think and lived as if they could come in some other door other than Jesus Christ. What a frightening thing that's going to be someday for them to discover that they were living a lie. Jesus speaks of these people in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, surely they're doing the will of, of the Father. First and foremost means believing in the one uh, door, right? Jesus Christ exclusively. And he goes on in Matthew 7, 22. On that day, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and do mighty miracles in your name. And listen to this. And then I will declare to them, I never, what? Knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Boy, those are terrifying, frightening words, aren't they? Terrifying, frightening words. Putting your trust in someone or something other than Christ, those are words that you are going to hear. 
even if you're here this morning, and maybe this is where you're at, where you haven't come in through the door that is, who is Christ. You haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is you. You're headed, headed for this. You don't want to hear those words someday on Judgment Day. Therefore, embrace the exclusive call of Jesus as the only door. Put your trust in Him. He is the only one through whom you can be reconciled to God. He is the only door. Secondly, as we look at our passage, we must treasure the excellency of Jesus. We must treasure the excellency of Jesus. Having established His exclusivity, Jesus now establishes His, his excellency as the true shepherd. How does He do, do so? How does He do this? Well, in language that reminds us of the, that great psalm, Psalm 23, he articulates qualities here of the great shepherd in this narrative, six of them to be precise. Note, first of all, that the excellent shepherd offers salvation. The excellent shepherd offers salvation. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? Saved. Saved. The idea there is to be saved from impending danger, from destruction. And Jesus, of course, is speaking figuratively here, right? Of our salvation, of a human being's salvation. How a person can be saved. And the question is, saved from, from what? Saved from what? From the imminent danger of God's wrath aimed in your direction if you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. From the imminent danger of God's wrath being poured upon you outside of Christ because of your sins. That's what he's talking about here. It's figurative language, right? It's salvation from our sins and salvation because of our sins from the just wrath of God. From God's punishment. Ephesians 2.3 says that before Christ, we were by nature children of wrath outside of Christ even as the rest of the world. Outside of Christ, we were by nature children of wrath. And Romans 1.18 says that the wrath of God is, present tense by the way, that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You want to know what's wrong with America, brothers? God's wrath is being revealed upon America. Why? Because America has turned its back on the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's what's taking place in our country right now. We are, we are receiving the consequences of a nation who has turned its back on the truth as defined in Holy Scripture. That's what we're experiencing. And that's what Scripture says. But Scripture also says that every single person born into this sin-cursed, fallen world is born under the wrath of God, that we are by nature sinners, and we flesh out. We flesh out our rebellion against the holy and righteous God by the way that we think and the way that we live and by the priorities that we have, which are misplaced priorities. So therefore, we are under God's wrath outside of Jesus Christ, that we, are, we deserve God's punishment for our sins. We deserve God's just judgment because of our rebellion against the holy God. But oh, that's where the, where the gospel comes in, right? There is no hope outside of Jesus, but the good news is, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternally the Son of God, He came into the world to die for sinners on the cross and rise from the dead, conquering sin and death victoriously. Amen? That by faith in Jesus, whoever believes in Jesus may not perish but have what? 
everlasting life. Amazing. Amazing. That's good news. And so only the most excellent shepherd can rescue a person who repents and believes in him from sin and condemnation. The excellent shepherd offers salvation. Second, treasure Christ because only he offers or gives uh, true life. Only he gives true life. Look at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And listen to this. And will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have that life abundantly. I love that. That's amazing imagery. Happy were the sheep with a good shepherd. Happy were those sheep who, who had a good shepherd who would lead them in and out to graze on greener pastures, who would protect them, who would guide them well, who were very well taken care of. That was the best kind of life for those sheep. But what Jesus is saying here is just like a good shepherd gives his sheep the best, I myself have come to do the same for my sheep, for those who trust in me, who believe in me. I have, I'm going to give them the best. I love that word in verse 10, translated abundantly. See that word there in verse 10? Translated abundantly. That's a, a beautiful word. It speaks of the, of the quality of this life that Jesus offers by faith in himself. Being extraordinary. Being profuse. Being lavish. Being abundant. I like how one pastor has put it. It's an overflowing, overwhelmingly blessed kind of life. Man, that's good stuff, isn't it? Jesus is saying, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And see, normally we think about eternal life as far as quantity of time. But the life of which Jesus speaks here is both quantity of time and quality of life. It's the best kind of life. There's nothing that compares to the life that Jesus offers those who will put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he is the excellent, most desirable shepherd. And we've experienced that as men, haven't we? For those of us who put our trust in Christ, we remember our, our, our life before Jesus. The video plays in our minds of the things that we did and the things that we pursued. And all of those things are now, as Paul says, rubbish in comparison to following after Jesus Christ, right? We remember life before Jesus. And even though now, it doesn't mean that we don't have trials and suffering and difficulties and all of that. He is with us, isn't he? Christ is with us. He upholds us and comforts us and sustains us. He reminds us of, of our future sure hope beyond this fallen world. Because on the cross, he said, it is finished. Our sins have been paid for. And eternal life has been procured for us. Both quantity of time and quality of life now and forevermore is found in the, in the, in the excellent shepherd brothers. That's why he's desirable. That's why we must treasure him for the excellent shepherd that he is. Third, Third, treasure him for the excellent shepherd is self-sacrificial. The excellent shepherd, thirdly, is self-sacrificial. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Literally, I am the shepherd, the good one. I am the shepherd, the good one. And that word good there refers to the, to the beautiful one, to the attractive one, to the shepherd of the highest quality. Thus, the most excellent shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And what does this most excellent shepherd do? Verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Boy, that's the counter of our culture, isn't it? That's completely the opposite. What do people do? They take you for all your worth in our society. They step over one another, one-upping one another. What does the excellent shepherd do for you? He lays down his life for you. He has died on the cross for your sins, that you may have life and have it abundantly by faith in him. Oh, this was the ultimate mark of a genuine shepherd, that when wolves or thieves or robbers would attack the sheep, they would courageously fight off the sheep or the, or the, the enemies, even to the point of losing their own life, laying down their own life. But again, we're not simply talking about sheep and human shepherds here, brothers. We're speaking about Jesus, the highest quality of a shepherd who came to do just that, give his life as a ransom for many, who sacrificed for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good deeds, right? That's why Christ came, that he might deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us to the kingdom of the Son of God's love. That's why Christ has come. He gave his life for this. Later in the upper room, in John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus will say, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Well, if somebody were to do that for you, give their life for you, what would you do for the rest of your life? You would spend your, the rest of your life indebted to that person, right? Talking about what they did highlighting the, the courage of that person who saved your life, maybe serving them for the rest of your life. Well, that's exactly what the excellent shepherd has done for us. He self-sacrificially gave his life for sinners such as us who otherwise deserve hell and condemnation, right? He gives his life. By contrast, what do false shepherds do? Look at verse 12. This is the contracts. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Why does he do this? Verse 13. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. This is like a slap in the face of the religious leaders on the spot. These guys who fancied themselves as, as being the leaders of Israel, they were counterfeit and the evidence of their counterfeit nature was shown by the fact that all they did was take advantage of the people. They exploited the people rather than doing what was best for the people of God. But not the excellent shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. Fourth, fourth, the excellent shepherd knows his sheep. The excellent shepherd knows his sheep. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. See the word that keeps coming up there? It's the word to know, to know. Just like sheep have an experiential knowledge of their, their shepherd. Jesus is saying, my own sheep have an experiential knowledge of, of me. They have a personal relationship with me as I have a relationship with my father. We have been invited into that relationship by faith in Jesus, right? That relationship that Jesus has with his Father. We know something of that, a glimpse of that now, by entering into a right relationship with the true shepherd by faith. I love what Galatians chapter 4 and verse 9 says. 
Galatians 4 and verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, Paul says to the Galatian believers, or rather to be known by God. I love that. You have come to be known by God. Ultimately, this is what happens in salvation, right? The most excellent shepherd took the divine initiative to find you, to seek you, to pursue you, that you might come to know him by faith. Amazing. Amazing. The excellent shepherd knows his sheep. Fifth, fifth, the excellent shepherd unifies the sheep. The excellent shepherd unifies the sheep. Watch this. Jesus adds in verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Who's he talking about? Who's he talking about when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold? Well, he's looking ahead, isn't he? He's looking ahead to those, as Romans eleven seventeen says, will be grafted into the olive tree. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Gentile sheep. Those who are non-Jews who will trust in the, in the Messiah of Israel and will be grafted in to be under one shepherd. And that is what we know as what? The church, right? This new living organism that is birthed at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. That's what he's talking about here. Future Gentile sheep. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 22. Write that down. Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 22 speaks of this unity. That Christ, the great peacemaker by virtue of his death, brought both believing Jews and believing Gentiles together into one so that now they are one body. One temple, one structure, one building, one household, one church family by faith in the one true Messiah. That's what Christ is talking about. In verse 16, he says, I must bring them, these other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Wow. Beautiful. We're a part of that, brothers. If you put your trust in Jesus, you're a part of that beautiful living organism called the church by faith in the one true shepherd, right? 1 Peter 2.25 says, For you, believer, were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd, with a capital S, and overseer or guardian of your souls. That's speaking of Christ, who's brought you into this fold, into the church. There Peter is speaking to the church. And the future comprised of both remnant Jews and Gentiles who've trusted in Christ under one chief shepherd. The excellent shepherd unifies his people, right? Sixth, sixth, treasure Christ for the excellent shepherd is beloved by the Father. He's beloved by the Father. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, says Jesus, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. That's speaking of the fact that he will die but surely he's going to rise again victoriously. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There's this loving relationship between the father and the son. There is trust there and one unified will exists because the father and the son are in this eternal relationship of love with one another. They share the one will. Third, third, Main point for you. We must consider the effects of Jesus' words. We must consider the effects of Jesus' words. Here again, as has been the pattern, right? Every passage, it seems, that we deal with, it, has a, it concludes with the response of the people, the effects of Jesus' amazing words upon people. 
And really, as John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the implication is you too, reader, must consider the effects of Jesus' words and what Jesus has just said. And again here, verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Verse 20, many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Boy, that's the extreme negative reaction to Jesus, right? They attributed to Jesus' words satanic demonic activity to him being some kind of a crazy demon-possessed lunatic here. But verse 21, others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon, that is, one who is controlled, influenced by Satan. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? In other words, demons can torment people, but certainly not heal them, they're thinking and reasoning, right? Can that happen? They're wrestling again, right, with Jesus' words. But once again, we see that Jesus' teaching has different effects, evokes different um, effects upon people, responses from them. And that shouldn't surprise us. That shouldn't surprise us. Remember, John's gospel is fundamentally an evangelistic gospel, isn't it? An evangelistic gospel. Recall the theme or the purpose statement that he gives in John 20, 30, and 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, verse 31, but these are written, why, John? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, everything that I recorded and much more that I could have recorded if I had the time to be able to do this is so that you may respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it may have the effect that the truth of God would change you from the inside out, that you would respond by faith in him, and that as a believer, you might be strengthened in your faith because we need that every single day, don't we, brothers? Every day. But what about you today? What about you? What effect have Jesus' words had on you through our study? You know, again, it's quite possible that some of you have not responded to the call of the shepherd, to believe in him, to follow after him. Though there have been many promptings of his voice in your life by very virtue of the fact that you've been here, you've listened online. Have you responded to the call of the shepherd? It's quite possible that maybe you believe there are other doors, doors that lead to heaven. Other roads that lead to a right relationship with your creator. It's quite possible that you believe that. Maybe you believe that your, your works can save you. That somehow there exists some good in you that somehow will gain you favor before a holy God. What does Jesus say here? That he himself is the only life giver. That it's only by his righteousness being imputed to your account, being given to you, that you can actually be reconciled to God. There is no other way. Works, church going, service, detached from Jesus, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ will not save you. Amen? It will not save you. And many of us sitting in this room can bear testimony to the fact that we have, prior to Jesus, we were seeking to be righteous in, our, in, in, in certain pursuits like that. Possessions, the accumulation of toys, right? Materialism, church going, humanitarian efforts. None of those things, friend, if you're here and you haven't trusted in Jesus, none of those things will save you. Jesus is the only door. Jesus is the only shepherd who can lead you into the greener pastures of eternal life and a right relationship with God. It's only through Him that we can be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Repent from your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. What about for us as Christians who are the sheep, right? What comfort as we reflect on this passage for us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus that we have the most excellent shepherd with a capital S. Amen? The Old Testament leaders failed the people of God, the nation of Israel. The religious leaders in the New Testament failed to lead the people well. And even in our time, as, as best and as faithful as we try to be as your human shepherds, as your elders and pastors, we are imperfect and we will fail, right? We will fail. But there's one shepherd with a capital S, one great shepherd, and his name is Jesus, who will never fail you, right? So you put your eyes on Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on him. One of my all-time favorite hymns is one that maybe you're familiar with. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. I love that hymn. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. It's a precious hymn. It goes something like this. Listen. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us. For our use thy folds prepare. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thine we are. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thine we are. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Keep thy flock from sin. Defend us. Seek us when we go astray. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thine we are. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thine we are. Thou hast promised to receive us, poor and sinful though we be. Thou hast mercy to relieve us. Grace to cleanse and power to free. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thine we are. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thine we are. Early let us seek thy favor. We're doing that this morning, aren't we? Early let us do thy will. Blessed Lord and only Savior, with thy love our bosoms fill. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thine we are. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thine we are. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that through Jesus Christ, we have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the Son of your love. Thank you that he is our great shepherd, our good shepherd, our excellent shepherd, our most desirable shepherd. Lord, help us to... Follow him well today out of a heart of love and gratitude for all that you've done for us. Father, I pray that we would be on mission to tell people about this great shepherd that is most desirable, more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb, more desirable than materialism, more desirable than possessions, more desirable than sinful prosperity, more desirable than anything this world has to offer. Help us to be those who exalt Jesus We'll make much of him today in word and deed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, brothers.